as we continue our study through the book of Colossians, verse by verse, through the book, we're, we're mindful of the fact that the theme of Colossians has been repeated each week, and hopefully when we're done, everybody will have it memorized. The theme of the book of Colossians is everything in Christ, Christ in you, you in the church. Okay, that's the theme of the book, and to find fulfillment in Christ, to find completeness in Christ, to find maturity in Christ, everything that we need in the Christian life is found in Christ. He is the one in which we find everything that we need for salvation, for sanctification, for glorification. It is all found in Christ. Okay, so we, he wanted us in the first few chapters to embrace that truth. In the last few chapters, he has given us some practical ways in which we can experience that truth so that we can actually live believing and trusting and embracing the fact that everything is in Christ and Christ is in me. And we can live embracing that as a reality and that it actually affects or impacts the way that we function in our everyday lives. It, it affects how we minister to others. It affects how we share the gospel with others. It affects a number of different aspects of our Christian life. And, we, and the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that so that we properly reflect on those truths and those realities. Because remember, the only expression of everything in Christ, Christ in you, the only physical expression of that is you in the church. The only expression that the world has of the truth of the gospel is the church. And so it's super important, it's critical that we are uh, decent, you know, just for not to press us too far right down the road, that we're decent at reflecting on this gospel message, that we do a decent job of it. The church of, of all places ought to be a place that is not simply a gospel proclamation, but it's a gospel um, revelation, and that people are able to see the gospel in the church and then, and then in our homes and, and all of that beyond that. So this morning we're in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. We'll read it here in a moment, but I want to give you some... some um, preview or reminder of what we've looked at already. The title of this morning's message is Dress for Success. To arrive, at a, to arrive at a full expression and experience the victory of Christ in us, we start by killing those things that, have, that hold us down. And we looked at that last week where the Apostle Paul says, mortify those things in you that are earthly. In other words, there are certain things in every individual, even after they are converted, that hold them, that they hold themselves down to the earth with. There are things that you're holding on to, that we're holding on to, that the Colossian people were holding on to, that was causing them to remain earthly. Remember, when, when you become a Christian, you become what type of a being? You become a heavenly being, right? You're a citizen of heaven. Everything about us, he, 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 he describes it that, that uh, Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And if Christ is in heaven and in me, then I am also in heaven. I am a heavenly being. 
So he reminds us of this, and then he tells us in the first part of Colossians 3 that you've got to mortify, you've got to kill those things that are holding you down to this earth, earthly things. You've got to kill them, okay? And I use the illustration of the helium balloon. If you're familiar with, if you were here last week, you heard the illustration of the helium balloon. In the helium balloon, there's everything necessary for that helium balloon to rise. It's meant to rise. It's made to rise, It's made to soar into the air, but oftentimes there are strings that are attached to that helium balloon to keep it from flying. And the same way is true about the Christian life. There are things that we hold on to in our Christian life. We call them weights or sins. There are things that we hold on to in our Christian life that keep us from soaring freely with Christ. What we are created, what we are recreated to be, what we are recreated to do doesn't take place because we're still holding on to those things that keep us from floating and soaring with Christ. And the reality of it is, if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we would all acknowledge that we have something that is holding us onto this earth that keeps us from soaring freely and uh, uh, worry-free in this life. It's the carnal things that are associated with our fallenness that keep us from soaring with Christ. He tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us or hold us back. It's a a picture of an athlete running with their leg weights on. It's a picture of a balloon trying to soar with rocks tied to the strings that are associated with it. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a hindrance to what God has planned and prepared for his people. He says, and then let us run with, run with endurance the race that is set before us. There were three things last week that we looked at in the first few verses that do hold us back. Number one was carnal desires, sex, success, money, power, greed, covetousness. These were a list of things that that keep us connected to this world. They're things that we hold on to. They're pursuits that are what we would call earthly pursuits or fleshly pursuits or carnal pursuits and desires that cause us to remain earthly instead of being heavenly. And then we looked at carnal emotions such as bitterness and anger and slander and and lying. And these are emotions that we experience towards others uh, relationally that keep us bound to this world. They keep us from soaring above the troubles and the difficulties. They're in many ways like Peter sinking in the water. These are the things that made Peter sink in the water. The third thing that we looked at is carnal pride. It is comparing ourselves to others based upon something that we had nothing to do with. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're bond or free, whether you're, bar- whether you're barbarian or Scythian, whether you're whatever might be about you that God has created you for, that you shouldn't have pride about it. It holds us back. This competitive spirit that the world has inundated us with holds us onto this world, or let me say it this way, we hold on to it onto this world. We always want to blame the things that we're holding on to, right? It's their fault. No, it's not their fault. It's our fault. We're the ones holding on to it. I'm sure it's a great allure, but it doesn't mean you can blame it for your holding on to it. 
Remember a story of a young boy who went into a, 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 a store. He had a, it was a, a, uh, an antique store and he went and he was walking around the store and, and uh, he found the most expensive vase in the entire store and this, they didn't even have a price tag on it because they just didn't expect anyone to ever buy it. And the next thing you know, the kid is walking over to his mom with this vase in his hand and his mom says to him, go put that vase back because that, if you break that or something happens to that, it's going to, we're not going to be able to pay for that. And the kid goes on to show his mom that his hand is caught in the vase and he can't get his hand out. And they do everything in their power to get his hand out of this vase. They put Vaseline on it. They put soap on it. They do everything in their power to get this kid's hand out of the vase until they finally realize there is just no way that we're going to get his hand out of this vase and so they end up breaking the vase to get his hand out of the vase, and they find that in there he's holding on to a penny, and if he would just let go of the penny, his hand would come sliding freely and easily out of that vase. And it wasn't the penny's fault that his hand was stuck in the vase, was it? Was it the penny's fault? It was the fact that he would not let go of the penny that, helped, that, that caused his hand to not be able to come out of the vase. It's not, it's not the world's fault that we're connected to it, folks. It's our fault. We're clinging to things, worldly desires, worldly emotions, and worldly pride. We're clinging to things that are holding us down to the earth. And until we let go of those things, we will be earthly beings. As much as you have everything in you right now to soar like a balloon does, if that balloon is tied down to something on the ground, it will never soar. You can take a hot air balloon and you can fill that thing up with so much hot air and if you got four ropes and they're tied to the ground, it ain't going anywhere. It has to be let go, doesn't it? That's what he's telling them. I want you to soar. I want you to be experiencing and expressing to others what it looks like to be a Christian. I want you to soar like a child of God would soar, but there are things that are going to keep you from doing that, and those things are carnality, earthliness. And he tells us to kill these things, and he tells us three reasons why we need to kill them. I want to just review this. He says, number one, we must kill these things because they're inconsistent with who we are. Carnality is not who we are any longer. We are now spiritual beings. We must kill these things, number two, because the wrath of God comes upon these things. Just think about it for a moment. If you're, if you're a balloon or if you're a person and you're holding on to something on this earth and, and it's that thing that's sinful and God sends his wrath on that thing, it's not on you. You're, 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 you've risen above it a little bit, but God sends his wrath on that thing. It affects you, doesn't it? This is exactly what the Lord means when he says, so you're holding on to the earth, right? And the Lord sends judgment on something. And what do we do if, let's just say, for instance, that you're holding on four, you got four, four limbs, so you're holding on to four things on the earth, and something comes and hits on one of them. Maybe it hits your hand really hard. What do you do? You let go of it, right? That's exactly what the Lord wants us to do, right? So he will sometimes send judgment to get us to let go. But what do we naturally do when we let go of that one thing? Tell me. We hold on to the other thing with greater strength, don't we? Until we can put our hand back on the thing that God judged 
and hold on to it again, then we can lessen our grip over here because now we've got, we've got stability. We've got four earthly things that we're holding on to. So then what God does is he sends judgment on one of those things, then we let go. Oh, that, that hurt. And we squeeze over here as tight as we can, and then slowly the pain goes away, and maybe we forget about the pain or whatever, or that, that the, it's rebuilt and it's good again, and then we put our hands back on it and we hold on to it again. And now we're back to where we were in square at square one. This is why the Lord says the only solution to doing it in Matthew 5 is, if your hand offends you, do what? Because you can't grab it on any, anymore, can you? If your hand is cut off, you can't grab onto anything with it any longer. And that's the only way that you're going to keep from grabbing back onto that thing that's holding you down to this world, is you have to kill it. You have to mortify it. You have to put it to death. If you don't do that, you will continuously go through your life in this process of holding on to one earthly thing and another earthly thing and then back to that earthly thing. And then many times we hold on to a lot of earthly things. We must kill them because they are what brings about the wrath of God. And then the third thing is, is because they bind us to our past. How do we kill them? We looked at, we kill them by treating them like enemies. You, you guys need to understand this, that you need to treat the things that are holding you down to this earth as if they're your enemies. Not your friends. They're not innocent. They're just, they're just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just all moral. If it's holding you down, it's not all moral. We, need, we do it by holding on to the word, and we do it by walking, walking in the word or walking in the spirit. Few of us, to be, to be honest with you, few of us make it very far in this process. There are many people who are Christians. They have accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, and they float, they're floating about four feet off the earth, and that's about as far as they ever get. And you know what? Praise the Lord, because guess what they go when they die? Guess where they go when they die? Heaven. And they get to see when they get to heaven all that they had within them while they were on earth. That as they soared four feet above the earth, they get to see how they could have soared 20 feet and 50 feet. That's where most of us live. We live about four feet off the earth, saved, but only saved and only free as long as our arms are. So, like the balloon, once we have cut away all of the restraints, we will soar to new heights of freedom in Christ-likeness. Amen? You cut all the strings off, and where does the balloon go? Goes up, naturally. Everything within it is saying, go up, go up, go up, go up. It's going to go up. So some of us might get to that place, and this is where Paul, we're at here in Paul's last letter. Some of us might get to that place where we've cut away, and we're free. We're freer. So, like the balloon, some of these obstacles, some of these things can be cut away, and we begin to soar. But also like the balloon, once that balloon has soared so high, other obstacles come into play, don't they? Does the balloon just soar forever? Does it just kind of go into outer space and then up into heaven and, 
you know, then maybe the Lord catches it, or is there things that happen in the process of that balloon soaring? What happens when the atmosphere starts to change? The, the, the balloon might explode, right? The balloon might crack. That's the effect of the change in the atmosphere. It, it might freeze and crack. The balloon can soar for so long, right? Can, can soar to certain heights because it has been set free. But unless that balloon is properly equipped, at some point in that balloon soaring, it will crack or explode. And you might be there. You might have been able to cut yourself free and you're just soaring through life and you're like, man, this is great, me and Jesus and there's nothing that's going to stop me. And all of a sudden, you start hearing that cracking sound and you've reached another atmosphere. You've reached new heights. You've reached great things. And now the atmosphere is changing and you're not equipped you're not equipped to face the new atmosphere. You're not equipped to face the new challenges. You're not equipped to face what is ahead. So what does the Apostle Paul tell us? He tells the church of Colossians to put things on. So as much as you need to take things off as a Christian to start to soar, you need to put things on so that when you soar so high, you are equipped to continue to soar. You are going to face new challenges. You are going to face new difficulties. You are going to face new obstacles in your Christian life. If you haven't put certain things on, you will not be able to face those things. And when a balloon pops, then what does it do? Becomes earthly again, doesn't it? Becomes earthly again. Because the next place that it lands is on the earth. It's done. And then it starts the process of over again of trying to untie itself from the earth, trying to soar again, and then trying to soar forever. Because that's the goal, isn't it? You know what we call that in the Christian world? It's called perseverance. It's something that the scriptures are so clear and adamant about. You must persevere. What do we have to put on in order to persevere? This is where we're at this morning in our text the, the Apostle Paul tells us some things to put on that will help us to be equipped to continue to soar when things get bad. Think about these verses before we read our text. Philippi, uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 11, what does it say? It says, put on the, put on the whole armor of God. And we're not going to go through it all, but you get it. Why do you put on the whole armor of God? Because you're going to soar to certain heights that are going to need some certain, you're going to need some certain preparations. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14, the Bible says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, which is simply the giving in to your senses. It's living a slave to your senses. Whatever your senses want, that's what you want, and that's what you fulfill and satisfy. Not in quarreling or jealousy. But watch this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember everything in Christ and Christ in you, right? Right? 
Put him on, it means to take what is inside of you and let it be on the outside of you. Take what is true about you and let it be seen about you. Take what you claim to be a reality and let it become a reality, right? We have all of the right words to say in our theological systems, but they don't, they they rarely get expressed in our untheological lives. Put on Christ. He's not just in you. Let him become out of you. Let him him come through your life. Let him come through your, your pores. You ever, you, ever, you, ever, you ever been around somebody, you just, I'm, I'm sharing this with you because I, I had a relative that was like this, that they, they drank so much that it, their pores would smell of alcohol. Right? Be not drunk with wine, but be you. Let your smell be Christ. Let what comes out of let it be so let it be let yourself be so full of him that what comes out of you is the smell of Christ. That's what it means when it says put on Christ. And that's really what the focus of this text is. It's not about putting on a bunch of things, it's about putting on a person. He's going to express it and describe it and explain it as if it were things, but in the end it's going to be captured in the fact that it's about putting on Christ. It's about putting him on. And letting people, letting people see him. He says at the end of that verse 14, Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify their desires. This is what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he writes the following. And if you want to follow along, Colossians 3, he says in verse number 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord hath forgiven you, so you almost so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There are just five things I want you to notice from this text this morning in regards to putting on Christ in regards to putting these things on so that we are equipped to soar beyond this atmosphere. The first thing, if you're taking notes, if you have an outline, you'll follow along with this, is accept, accepting or accept who you are in Christ. Accepting who you are in Christ. Remember this, we can only put on what Christ has put in. We only put on what Christ has first put into us. When Christ resides in an individual, he comes into that individual as a person, bringing with him certain character traits and certain gifts and certain personality that comes with him, that comes as him, and we are able to put him on 
but only as we understand who he is. We must embrace, first of all, who we are in Christ in order to put that on on the outside. Christ is in us, and he wants us to be he wants us to put him on on the outside. In doing so, it's, we can look at Ephesians chapter number one. The Bible says that the whole purpose of the Lord adopting us and calling us and regenerating us and saving us is to the praise of the glory of his what? It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. Why does the Lord save us? He saves us so that he can display his grace through us. Why does the Lord choose us? Why does the Lord regenerate us? Why does the Lord forgive us? Why does the Lord show us mercy and grace so that we can do that same thing to others around us, so that we can express the character and person of Christ um, to others? But we will never do that. Listen, we will never do that until we have first, by faith, embraced that it is a reality for us. You must embrace the fact that He says it this way, put on then, ask God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He described three things about the church that if you do not have faith, you will not believe those three things. You are chosen by God. You are holy because Christ is in you. You are chosen because Christ is in you. And you are loved and nothing can separate you from the love of God on the basis of Christ being in you. These are a reality for those of us who believe, who have received Christ as our Savior, and we will never be able to express those to the people around us until we have first embraced them for ourselves by faith. He tells us in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who has worked in you both the will and to work for his good pleasure. God has worked certain things in us, certain realities, certain truths. He has worked in us that are spiritual truths. And in order for us to express those on the outside, we must embrace those truths by faith. We must believe that they are true about us. Ephesians 2, 5 through 7 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace he has saved us and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. That's a truth that you must embrace by faith. I see a bunch of people that are seated in this building right now. To believe that I am seated in heaven with Christ is something that takes faith to believe. And then he says this, so that in the coming ages or in the coming days, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why does he do these things? So that he might display to us the immeasurable riches of his grace. So that the world around us might know the immeasurable riches of Christ's grace, of his goodness towards us, of his kindness, of his patience, of all of these things that he calls us to. He doesn't call us to any of these things without first being them for us. 
I think about, as I was reading through this text this week, what, what came to my mind is how many times that I have prayed, God, please be these things for me. I can't tell you how many times that I've prayed, God, please show me compassion. God, please be gentle with me. Please show me humility and, and be meek and be patient and be gentle and be kind. And, and please bear with me because I'm, I'm a failure and please forgive me. I can't tell you how many times that I have prayed that God would be these things to me when he is these things to me and he wants me to express the same thing to others. He wants me to show the immeasurable riches of his grace to those around me, especially as it relates to the church. He has made you something. He has changed you. He has altered you. And he wants you to express that to others. He uses three terms from the Old Testament to describe the Jewish people. He calls them chosen, he calls them holy, and he calls them beloved These are terms that come from the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Exodus, as God describes his relationship with his people. He even tells us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, he quotes from the Old Testament and says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How are these things a reality for us? Only by Christ in you. Only by Christ in you. But Christ is in me, isn't he? Christ is in me, so therefore, these things are a reality for me. So first of all, we must accept who we are in Christ. We must accept who we are in Christ. Number two, we must act on who we are in Christ. This goes back again to putting these things on. This is, an acti- this is an action that you are performing. It's something that you are doing. I know that we love, I know that Jesus, Jesus does everything. He is everything. But in this context, this is a part of our doing. We are taking what he has done and we are clothing ourselves with it. In no, really in no different sense than when you go home today, you're going to put on different clothes. It's exactly the, the same sense here. You are to put on different clothing. You're to wear different garments, garments that are a reflection of Christ, garments that are honorable, uh, that that bring honor to Christ, garments that are praiseworthy of Christ. You're to put on Christ as a garment, an, an external garment, because he lives in you. Now he wants to live on the outside of you. He wants you to clothe yourself with him. He wants you to reflect him and represent him. So he says, put this on. It is, I've done it all in you, now put it on the outside. And he goes through a list, and I'm just going to give them to you and we'll move on. A compassionate heart. It means to be merciful and kind. Uh, uh, Not kind, kind would fit into that, but to pity someone, to be soft-hearted and gentle-hearted towards people. And Remember, this is specifically referring to to the church. To have compassionate hearts towards each other. To pity each other when when one fails. The Bible talks about in Galatians to bearing each other's burdens because uh, when, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6 and verse 1. 
talks about Jesus having compassion when he looked out over Jerusalem and, and weeping over them. This is, this is a heart of sorrow for somebody. It's a, a heart of sadness for somebody when they fail, when they make mistakes, when they don't do things exactly as they, as they ought. Instead of having a judgmental heart towards them, you're to have a com- compassionate heart towards them. Even as Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and sees a people that are rebellious and, and really have no desire for him, it breaks his heart that he sees that. He weeps over them. This is the heart of Christ, that we have compassion towards each other, that we have pity and mercy and be soft-hearted, gentle towards each other. He goes on to kindness, which means goodness, uh, honesty, helpfulness. Um, I think of, uh, of how gentle the Lord is with us and, and how patient he is. He, this kind of fits in here. He goes on to being humble, which means to be lowly and and modest. Uh, Humility is not weakness. It is it is it's not thinking of yourself as small. It's thinking little about yourself. It literally means to be have a lowly opinion of yourself. Humility is something, the Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He calls the, the, um, he calls the elders in, in 1 Peter 5 to be clothed with humility, to be clothed with it. That's not just on the inside of them, it's on the outside. It's the way that they function, it's the way that they live their life. He calls us to be, to be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble, to be meek. Meek is just a gentleness, a, a being able to be under control. It's a, it's a thoughtfulness, it's a, um, it's a power, that it, 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 the picture is, is a, a stallion, a great powerful horse that can be, can be moved or altered at the, very, uh, uh, the lightest touch of a rein, and they can be moved one direction or the other direction. That horse could very easily kill that rider, right? But that horse can be moved at the very touch. Listen, this is something that we need. This is a reflection of Christ, Christ could have called down 10,000 of angels to come and, and deliver him from the cross. Could he not have? And yet he submitted himself. He humbled himself. He was meek in that moment and allowed himself to be used by God to bring salvation to mankind. Too often we fight the things that God has called us to as men, as women, as children, because we're better than that. No, we're not better than that. Maybe you do have more strength than that. Maybe you do have more capabilities than that. But be a meek person and understand that meekness means doesn't mean you don't have the ability. It means that you submitted your ability to God's will and God's work. That's how you bring honor to Christ. It's not by being weak. It's by being powerful, but submitting your power to Christ's will for your life. Some of us, some of us hate our roles because they don't express our power enough. This is not about expressing your power enough. It's about submitting yourself and your life to Christ and giving your power to him. This is what meekness is. I am so glad that Christ didn't didn't express his power in the cross moment. He had every right. He knew that they were lying about him. He knew that they were uh, accusing him of things that he hadn't done. He knew he could have killed them all with the very thought And it would have been a great, the devil even said that to them. Jesus, express your power. Throw yourself off this mountain and God will save you. Jesus said, I didn't do that. That's giving in to Satan. Meekness 
mild, gentle, controlling your power and using it to honor God, not self. Patience, which means long-suffering, enduring, being steadfast. We need the Lord to be patient with us. We need others. We need to be patient with others. Forbearing means to bear up. It means to carry a load, to carry somebody as a load. It would be a right way of saying it. They are forbearing. You are forbearing with us and then forgiving us, which means to be a pardon. All that Christ is, listen to this, all that Christ is for us and in us, he calls us to be for others. All that Christ is for us and in us, he calls us to be it for others. He calls us to be his hands and his feet in this world. I'm convinced that sometimes I pray for things for other people that God has called me to do. I pray that God would comfort somebody. I pray that God would save somebody. I pray that God would help somebody while sitting on my own rear and not comforting and not saving and not helping those people. Am I the hands and feet of Christ? Has he done for me enough that I, should, that I can do the same thing for other people? This is what he has called us to. This is what he has saved us for. He says, put on love, the last thing, put on love. Love is not just one of the many things that he tells us to put on. It is literally the belt that holds it all together. It is the most important. It is the first Corinthians 13 where it's like all connected to love. You can take all of the gifts and not have love and you have nothing. We must put on love. So we must act. This morning, you must act on what you believe is true about you. You must act on who you are in Christ. You can't just leave it. We must act upon it. We must clothe ourselves and prepare ourselves for what lies ahead. Number three, the Bible says this, and let the peace of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Number three, acquiesce to who you are in Christ. Notice simply the word let. This is a word that's used not just here, but on other occasions in scriptures. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, there are certain things that are naturally meant to happen in the heart and life of an individual that you can be an obstacle to. That you can stand in resistance to. You must allow God's work to happen in you, on you, and through you. And the three areas that he says in the scriptures is the peace. He says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. What would happen? What would be some way that we would become an obstacle to the peace of God ruling in our heart? Anxiety. Anxiety ruling in our heart. If we were honest this morning, if every one of us was opened up and the question was, does the peace of God rule your heart? Does the anxiety of life rule your heart? I would imagine that we would most often be guilty of the anxieties of life ruling our heart. Worries, stress, all of these things are an obstacle to the, the, 
the peace of God ruling in you. Literally meaning the peace of God has control of your heart. Wouldn't it be sad to get up to heaven one day and the God to put up on a big screen and show you fighting against the peace of God that wants to rule in your heart? You say, well, Pastor John, I pray for it every day. It says, let it happen. Let it happen. That means that you are actively opposing it. Let the peace of God have rule in your heart. He says, let the word of God bear fruit in your heart. It's interesting when he says this, let the word of God, it says, um, uh, let's see here, let the word of God dwell in your heart richly. It means to let the word of God find a home in your heart. Let the word of God find a home in your heart, a place that it can change, a place that it can, it can affect and impact, a place that it can produce fruit. Let the word of God not just be words, but let it find a, a place of, 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 of familiarity in your heart, a place of rest. This is, this is like Matthew 13, the four different soils, the one where it falls on the good soil and it bears much fruit. It's amazing. He talks about let the word of God, let the word of God fall into your heart and find a, a home. And then it says this, and then you will teach and admonish other people, and you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and you will have thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. All of these are, are a result of the word of God finding a place of rest in your heart. So what's the enemy of that? Well, Matthew 13. The deceit, the um, the it's offensiveness. The Bible says the offensiveness causes them to fall away. The Bible talks about the treasures of this world, the pleasures of this world causing us to fall away. It says, let the word of God find place in your heart and bear fruit. That means that we are actively working to resist it. These are things that you have to resist the Lord doing in your life. Because as a believer, this is what he's working out. Acquiesce. And, and then I put down here just as well because of um, Philippians 2, let Christ's mind be in you, which leads to humility and all those other things. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Number four, move on very quickly. Appreciate who you are in Christ. He says it, I think, twice here in this text, and he says it several other times in, in the book of Colossians. He says, and be, and be what? And be thankful. And be thankful. And be thankful. Over and over again. And be thankful. And be thankful. We must develop a heart of thankfulness all the time, in every situation or in every circumstance, because our value does not come from our accomplishments, our value comes from where? It comes from Christ in you, right? Be thankful in every circumstance and in every situation because Christ is in you and that cannot change. The Lord is always good, folks. Always good. Even in bad, the Lord is always good. 
Amen? It's true. We need to learn to be thankful. The last thought is the end. Admiration for who you are in Christ. He says in verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this just simply means everything that we do, we do it in Christ's power, we do it for Christ's glory, we do it as a representation of Christ, we do it with Christ at the forefront of the situation. It means, the Bible says this in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It means that Christ must be the forefront and the center of every decision, of every direction, of everything that you do in your life. Christ must be central because it's all about Christ. The next few verses is going to give us some very practical things about wives and husbands and every one of the things that he does, he he says, because or do it for the Lord's sake. Do it for the Lord's sake. Do it for the Lord's sake because Christ must be central. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What does the Lord want from us today? What does the Lord want from us? What is the Lord calling us to in this text? He's calling us, number one, to embrace who we are in Christ. Embrace who you are in Christ and put it on display so that the whole world will be able to see it. And what does this mean? It means hard work. It means submission, allowing things to happen in you that go against your nature. It means being, it means being thankful, and it means doing everything with Christ at the forefront of your mind. This and only this will equip you for the finish line. In closing... Many of you will remember exactly where you were on January 28th, 1986. Does anybody know where they were on January 28th, 1986? Anybody? Okay, we've got some that know what I'm talking about, I think. <laughs> Maybe that was, there's something else, but... <laughs> anybody else know where they were on January 28th, 1986? I remember exactly where I was on January 28th, 1986. I was in like third grade or fourth grade and I was in school and I was sitting around a computer screen and I was watching the TV or the computer screen and I was watching this event. Anybody remember now? Starting to get it. All right. On this day in history, the space shuttle Challenger would attempt its 10th mission into space with seven crew members aboard. You remember it was a well-known one because it was, I think, one teacher. Um, I can't think of her name, but she was... um, you know, just kind of a, a new thing that they were doing, and she was going to experience space. The Challenger was built to endure the most difficult of conditions in order to get the astronauts into space and to get them back home safely. And if you know anything about um, space travel, you know that the, whatever equipment you're going to use to get there is going to be, it's going to go through a great uh, deal of, of uh, stress, isn't it? However, 73 seconds into flight, the Challenger would explode After researching what caused the disaster, it was discovered that two rubber O-rings failed to seal a a joint, which resulted in the disaster. Something as simple as two small O-rings brought down one of the greatest machines ever built. Nothing was holding them back. 
All their strings had been disconnected. But the failure of being properly equipped for the entire ride led to their disaster. This is how it works with many of us as Christians. We cut away the sins and the weights. We start to rise into the atmosphere only to discover that we are ill-equipped to handle the change in atmosphere. The attacks of the devil, the temptations of the flesh come to destroy us because we have not put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we have cut away all that is holding us back, but there is plenty waiting to destroy you. If you don't take your equipment seriously, put on the whole armor of God, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put on the faith that Christ has put within you, you will fall short of soaring with Christ. This morning, my challenge to you as a church is simply this. Mortify that which is earthly in you and put on Christ, which is heavenly, and live out what he has put in. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time. Thank you for this uh, kindness that you show us through your word and teaching us and instructing us and, Lord, showing us where, we're, where we can be and uh, where we aren't and helping us to, to embrace what we need to embrace and let go of what we need to let go of and that we might soar with you. There's so much, I think, Lord, that none of us understand and very few have experienced that um, is available to us. And I just pray, dear God, that you would help us to, to know who we are in Christ and to begin to live in that reality. Help us to be that for other people as well, to live out, to manifest Christ to those around us, that your glory might be manifest and magnified. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.